Welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. And that was actually 
Um, Stevie Wonder, and I can hear one of my boat neighbors laughing in the background. Oh, well. That's just what they do. Um, Hey, crew. How are you doing out there? So, it is today's date. February 23rd. And getting ready for this week's, uh, I guess, podcast lecture here is what we're doing. It is, I'm on the boat again. I'm supposed to be back in Arkansas this week, but that did not happen because of said winter weather that we all uh, went through. At least, like, yeah, there's a good chunk of us. This time last week, I had no electricity. I was using a stove, propane stove, to try to keep warm. And the thing is... I could have just decided that it was miserable. And, you know, I'm not going not gonna to lie. It wasn't necessarily um, the most comfortable environment to be in. Uh, it didn't get quite as cold in South Texas as it did in Arkansas. However, if you paid any attention to the news at all, you'll learn that Texas uh, did not prove to be the superior state. Oh no! Hang on. Oh, okay. Wait. Sorry, I got a I got a pop up message that said my uh, audition had quit unexpectedly, but it turns out it didn't. Anyway, so I'm just gonna chalk that up to I'm gonna ignore it. Um. Anyway. So some folks in Arkansas, y'all had a lot of snow, and my cabin would have been great. To ride that out in, sit by the wood stove, cooking some food, staying warm. And even if the power had gone out, I've got enough stuff set up there that, you know, I've got kerosene lamps and whatnot. So I could have just gone 18th century and just lived it and done it and been good. Down here on the boat, South Texas, uh, things didn't didn't work as well. Worked okay. And actually on the boat, we were better than most because boats are pretty well designed to be self-sufficient because you know you have to be able to cross oceans in, the, in these things without any other help and so uh shouldn't necessarily have i just don't expect to cross oceans when it's 17 degrees so i don't heat is one of those things i just don't have this boat set up for and so i got a little chilly but uh what i was saying I was about to say is i could have decided that point that oh dear lord where woe is me everything's miserable i hate my life it's cold it's wet it's gross um but we didn't do that um we just decided to ride it out as the adventure because people were like why don't you just go get a hotel I'm like, what fun is that this is where the event you know these are the moments that we uh remember most um like, you will never, ever remember all the nights that you just sat around watching Netflix or TikTok videos or whatever. Those are the, those are the days that will just float on by and they'll just be a gray fog in your memory. But the days that, you know, that things got a little weird, um, those are the days that stories are made from. And those are the days that... Um, we tend to hang on to like I remember because there were people were 
making lots of references to Arkansas hasn't had this kind of cold since the 1980s. And actually, I remember that uh, cold spell from the 1980s because I was a kid then. And I remember we lived in a house that had electric heat. And the power went out for like, I, I think, close to two weeks, if I remember right. Um, school was out and our house was cold and we ended up going to my grandparents house because they had a fireplace so that's kind of all I really remember I just remember sledding not being in school and my grandparents house with a fireplace and that's kind of how it went and I just remember that my dad decided he would never again live in a house that didn't have wood heat so as soon as the um Power came back on and we moved back to the house. He had a wood stove installed on the uh, house. And that began a history that continues to this day that I never again lived in a house that did not have wood heat. So even to this day, um, the only thing that doesn't have wood heat is my boat. And actually after a little bit of researching, I found out you can buy fireplaces for boats. They're small, but they're fireplaces, so may have to. I may have to get one of those eventually, just out of spite. Um, what was my point with all this stuff? Setbacks. Um, things didn't go as planned as last week. Like I did not get as much work done as I intended to do last week. You probably didn't get as much work as you intended to do last week, but you know. It's okay. Um, and the, there is there are things that in life that are important and things that are life that are not quite so important. And when all these things sort of factor in, you know what? You miss a week of school. Things slow down. Whatever. You miss a couple of days of work. That's not the world that matters. Um, it's what you do with that time that ultimately matters. So, which brings me kind of a larger question I think this is an awkward segue but I'm going to go with it anyway um, just for the record it's this time last year it was or last week it was 17 degrees in ice uh, this week it's 70 degrees and the sun shining it's absolutely gorgeous outside uh, in when I'm teaching in class there's a lot of times I'm, I was used to be sort of semi-famous for it that you go through a long streak of like crappy weather, like, you know, it's either super hot in the summer or it's just super nasty in the wintertime. And then suddenly there's a day it's 70 degrees and the sun's out and it's warm on your skin. Those are never the days that you should sit inside staring at a computer and on more than or sitting in a classroom or just being inside period. So on more than one occasion, I would cancel class on the count of good weather. And if you hadn't already missed a week last week, I probably would do the same today. But this is online, so you can manage on your own and listen to this later. Um, nautical term. Nautical terms. Underway versus making way. So in boats, tied up at a dock right now. I'm not underway. Tied up. I'm I'm, I am moored, not anchored, I'm tied up, I'm at the dock, I am docked right now. Um, 
Now, if I was going to leave the dock, the moment I'm untied, I put the boat in gear, I'm technically underway. But even if I haven't moved anywhere, um, I'm underway, I'm not tied up to anything, I'm ready to go. Once I start making movement, I'm making way. Um, this comes into play if you're out. So imagine you have to think of currents at this point. So if you're in a boat, you're on the river and you're trying to go upstream against the river and you have, you're just giving enough motor to your boat that you are, it looks like you're going somewhere because you see the water going by your boat. But if you look, you're not actually going anywhere. In that case, you're underway, but you're not making way. Making way means you're actually making forward progress. You're going a direction. You're moving. Um, where this seems to be relevant right now is it's midterms. And this is the time that people start. So you're underway from an academic standpoint, as a life standpoint. You're underway. But this is also when you start kind of honing in on God, I hate winter, and when's spring break going to be here, and how much longer before we get done with this? Uh, and so sometimes you're underway, but you stop making way. In fact, what you start doing is drifting. And I've had to have a few conversations with students who apparently are kind of drifting right now. That's not going to get you where you want to go. It's the illusion of motion. Drifting is, you know, just imagine drifting in a swimming pool. You may be, you may be making movement, but you're just sort of bouncing around between the edges. You're not going anywhere. Uh, what you want to be doing at this point is going somewhere. You need to be, you need to chart your course and you need to be making way, trying to make that ha thing happen. Um, questions is, are, the question is, questions are, depends on if it's plural or singular, um, what's, what's keeping you? What's keeping you from doing those sort of things? There's a lot of things. Life events, ice storms can hold up the progress. Pandemics can hold up progress. Um, external forces against you can hold up that progress progress and sometimes those those external forces can come in a lot of different forms um internal forces can hold you up um i see this a lot uh like it's anxiety uh if i'm talking about i'll meet a lot of boaters uh who you know they own a boat they always talk about they want to go somewhere they want to go sailing but they never leave the dock and the more you talk to them, the more you realize they're, they're actually kind of scared to take their boats out. And I get it. It can be stressful. Um, you know, you may be thinking, oh, you know, I don't take a ski boat out. That's nothing. You know, taking a ski boat out is, is kind of a non-event or a small, you know, fishing boat. You start taking like a 40-foot boat out. And a 40-foot boat works an entirely different sort of premise and functions in, or moves in an entirely different way and you're you're 
in a lot of cases, you're way more exposed to the elements of nature. And so it's not that hard to damage one uh, doing something stupid. And so people kind of get hung up with that and that anxiety. And so they're, they're afraid to leave. And then, you know, it becomes maybe they'll take it out, but they won't go too far. Like sailing out past the horizon line, that's kind of a, that's, that's sort of a head trip. I got to tell you, first time I ever did it, because you sail out and then you realize and look in every direction, there's only water and you in the middle of it. And you realize at that point that you are entirely responsible for what happens to you. You realize at that point that the maintenance that you've done on your boat is important because if something breaks because of failure to maintain it, that's all on you. You learn that you have to rely on your own skill because the weather can change, the sea conditions can, can change. And that's all on you to be able to navigate that and be able to have the confidence to you go forward. So, um, I'm not trying to say right now. I don't really know. Don't just talk about stuff. Don't just talk about what you're going to be doing. Get after doing it. Don't drift. Don't explain what you want to do. Go do it. Make a path for yourself. Don't just wait for doors to open. Get in your boat. Fire up the engines. Hoist your sails. And go. 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 Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Can you not? They don't listen to you. They don't think you This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. Words are things. We hold these truths to be, be self-evident. Careful about all calling people out of their names. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. Some man you just can't read. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You don't tell your puppy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. Oh, yeah. Well, you're not That's a powerful new phone. Are you not entertained? Is that why you are here?
Okay, so I guess the reason you're here is to get an education, right? Alright, so we are... We are... Oh, this is for social media class, in case you're wondering. Um, I hope you're not wondering anymore. I hope you've already figured that part out. The... Um, we're actually going to, we didn't, I didn't knock one of these things out yesterday or last week because of the ice, but, um, chapters five and six are actually really short. So I'm just going to knock them both out today. So we've got chapter five, which is on developing and distributing, um, let's getting stuff out there. And then we've got chapter six, hang on, I'm trying to get this going. It's pricing and promotion. Um, it's, it's it's getting into price value on media and whatnot. Um, things are kind of noisy outside the boat today. Um, one of the things I had to do is relocate my boat to a different dock. And this is a very noisy dock. I don't really like it that much if I'm being honest. Um... But it's where I got to be for now um, due to the other dock being messed up. So, um, so we're going to deal with it. So if you hear more noise this week, then I apologize. I can hear. I don't know if you can hear, but I can hear. I can hear people. Construction going on in the background. I can hear the sound of the wind blowing through the rigging of the boat which is a really eerie sound if you don't know I, I love the sound um it's kind of a whistling but it's a very haunting sort of sound and you get a few hundred boats in the marina together and the strong winds blow in through them it becomes just it's sort of this orchestra of ghosts and I love it love it love it love it love it all right Developing, distributing, chapter five, PowerPoint. So, you can read this stuff and get going. Oh, one of you asked me uh, this week because I haven't been giving you guys extra questions to do individually on top of all this other stuff. And partially that's because if you guys, let me give you a little reference point. I haven't been giving you a lot of individual work because the group work that you're supposed to be doing, working on your social media media project, should be fairly intensive. Um, and this gets back into, I guess, I'm not fussing um, because at this point, most of you just don't know. Um, But when like, I ask you to research something or do something, you know, if I'm if I'm looking and saying, hey, you need to do these things, like I'm starting with an expectation that you're going to put a lot of time and effort into it. Like, so when I ask you to do like a research something and write a report about it, you know, like give me give me a plan and things like this, like. I'll be honest, I'm probably expecting you to turn in something like five pages of, of documentation of like research and analysis and things that you plan, like what you're going to do. And if you turn in two paragraphs, that tells me, 
tells me a couple of things. Uh, tells me you're not making way. It tells me like that's that your mindset is not a mindset that is um, really trying to make progress. That's a mindset that's looking to sort of get away with doing the bare minimum. It's it's a it's a reactive. It's not a proactive mindset. Of you know, I said in the syllabus talk about being default aggressive. Like I'm looking. The thing I'm really looking for is to see that students are going an extra mile. Like in their like, I want to see that you're really trying to understand. Um, and honestly, what grades you get as a result of this stuff is sort of, it's, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, um, but it's kind of irrelevant in, in, in relationship to the amount of drive that you put into it. If you sort of just half-ass your way through stuff and then you roll that over to the professional world, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to make way. If you're chronically locked up with anxiety and I don't insane, you know, I just don't know what to do here, and you don't reach out and say, Hey, can I get a little help? You're not making a way. Maybe underway, but you're not making a way. So I want to see that you're actually working like these are the things that I'm looking for. Like this is the thing if I cause a talent scout. It's like okay, so put it this way, so some of your athletes you know, depending on the school you go to, depends on like what quality of the athlete is it's going to take to start. You know, to be to be one of the starters on the team. Um, if you're in high school, you know, it depends. If you go to a small school and they just barely have enough people to play, then you know it's probably not going to be that hard, and you really don't have to put that much effort into it. Um, but your team may not win. Um, but the other part is, you know, if you're competitive and you're trying to work and you're trying to get ahead and you're trying to be better, then that becomes something else entirely. So really what you're talking about with not just your schoolwork, like I don't focus less on your grade and more on doing an amazing job. What does it take to do an amazing job? All right. So. Um, let's jump into chapter five before I start on another down a rabbit trail of that. You know who I'm talking about. If you're don't if you're half assing, stop. Just stop. Get it together. Get yourself together. Do good work. Um all right. Still doing I'm trying to rant. Chapter five, developing and distributing all right, so crowdsourcing. You guys know what crowdsourcing is? You should know what crowdsourcing is. You're all old enough that crowdsourcing is a fairly common uh, term. It's like, you know, you don't necessarily know the answer to something. And so you don't just put it out to one person. You put the question out to a lot of people. And, and you try to get like a collective group of people to, to solve the problem at once. Uh, and it works because you can have a lot of people who sort of have 
average knowledge, not necessarily a lot of knowledge, but the aggregate of all of them together uh, adds up to quite a bit. Uh, it's kind of like PowerPoint says it's kind of like quantum computing. So in a normal computer processor, you know, you think about ones and zeros and it's got this line of things that it's trying to solve and it's always just sort of doing them one at a time. Like one answer, it, it, one or zero, one or zero, yes or no, open, closed, open, closed. And as soon as it gets one, it just moves on to the next one. In the world of quantum computing, it's a different sort of thing. It's a bit more complicated, but it's, you, you may have a million different varieties or, you know, abilities to process and they're all working at the same time. It's not just kind of moving down a conveyor belt. It's all, they're all working together in conjunction. And so it becomes far more powerful, um, far more faster. So that's kind of what crowdsourcing is. It's, it's useful to solve three different kinds of problems. Uh, the first one is a problem of cognition. A group can determine the correct right or wrong answer, such as predicting an event, a score. So when you've got, so think about elections, think about ball games, think about whatever. You can look, I wouldn't say, I don't want to call this voting, but it's kind of like voting. You know, you get a crowdsource and you get, what's the majority of the crowd say is going to happen? And there's a good chance that they're right. Whatever they think, you know, so, um, so it sort of expands the brain and whatever sort of the majority says is going to happen is a probably, there's probably a higher probability that that's going to come true. Second one's coordination. Um, a group unknowingly works together in patterns of behavior. Uh, think about when you see fish swimming together and they all sort of move in unison or birds do the same thing. We kind of do it too. It's just not so necessarily noticeable. Um, but we're always kind of picking up on these little micro cues from each other and we respond accordingly. This is kind of how we are able to function in crowds. Um, and so we work sort of together in a pattern of behavior. Three, cooperation. This is the thing that makes, that really causes humans to stand out. And this is one of the things that we're, we're, we're working on a hurdle right now. Uh, because we've, we've got, we're in sort of a point where cooperation doesn't seem to be, uh, the motivation of like the, I would say the political class, uh, people work together, even if the behavior is not in their self-interest cooperation is that thing where people just come together and they make it happen because we realize, and we do it all the time. So you're sitting in a restaurant and you sit in that restaurant and you get food and you eat your dinner and you laugh and you, you know, or whatever you enjoy it and you don't really worry about it. What may not occur to you is the level of cooperation that's going on in that moment. Like you're in a restaurant and first of all, the people in the table next to you, they're not coming over and stealing all the food off your table. They didn't, you know, they didn't hit you in the head with a plate and then take your steak, right? Because they have theirs and you have yours and you're cooperating. You're not acting like a pack of wild animals. You're cooperating. You also, you know, you're relying on the fact that the guy in the kitchen, whom you don't know or whatever, is cooking your food and is going to do it correctly and not going to try to poison you. 
all of these things are sort of happening. We're working on our own, you know, it's not necessarily in our self-interest, but it is our self-interest because when we can do it collectively, things happen. And, and we do that stuff all the time from driving down the road to going to the movies, to sitting in class, to whatever it is, we cooperate with each other and that's why it works. Um, creative collaboration, leveraging the power and connections among workers who serve in creative capacities in order to help firms develop innovative ideas. Read that one. Creative collaboration. So you get creative types. Um, creative collaborations, you get a lot of people working on a problem. Uh, and then you, you know, and sometimes you don't necessarily worry about mistakes. You just worry about the problem. What's, what's the problem? The base, going back to what I was talking about, first principles, uh, in one of the earlier episodes. You just work the power and connections among the workers uh, who are serving sort of creative capacities, and they work and sort of get outside the box and develop innovative ideas. And those innovative ideas are tested, and something, and they work. And sometimes, in that way, you can get out of the. This is the way we've always done it, and you can replace it with something better. Uh, moving into a different kind of marketing. We've got geosocial geo or geolocation-based marketing. We've talked about some of this stuff already, but this leverages on the individual's location to offer goods and services. By the way, if you haven't read these chapters, definitely read these chapters because I'm summing this stuff up in the PowerPoint. Geosocial or location-based marketing leverages an individual's location to offer goods and services. So I know I'm leveraging where you are to determine what I'm going to advertise to you. This is what your phone does to you all the time. This is what Google does to you all the time. This is where the, why they're always dropping cookies and they want to know and they're always asking you, is it okay if we know your location? Because they're using location-based marketing. Geofencing. This is what I've talked about in the past of where you can physically draw a line around a building or a geogra some sort of geographic location as a way to market to a specific group of people in that location. So if you wanted to market specifically to students in Arkansas Tech or specifically to stu or people who go to McDonald's, you have the ability in the world of web marketing to draw a line around that physical location and it will target ads directly to people that are physically in that place. And so we get solo mo going on to the next one. Acronym for social, local, and mobile. Social, local, mobile. So social media, local, your proximity, where you are now, and mobile. You're using your mobile phone, how that they connect with you using those three elements. Your social, social media, where you are, your connection, your group of friends, the people you're contacted, you're connected with, local specifically in your area, and mobile, it's following you around, it wants to know where you are. And believe it or not, that's it for this chapter. Like I said, it's not that complicated. Just kind of bringing it up. All right, so with that said, promise these are going to get a little more interesting you're probably like when do i get to learn about being an influencer and how to get more likes part of that's coming part of that's never coming because well 
because that is an ever moving target. But since we're going good, let's play another song. Let's play Al Green. Al Green is was originally from Forest City, Arkansas. And I don't know, I feel like this song should have been on Guardians of the Galaxy. I just feel like it's got that it's got that feel. Maybe it is. I don't even know. Here we go. Uh, I don't know. He never left. 
I realize I'm just falling back on like the way I when I would do radio back in the day. And this is not that same medium, so it's kind of interesting to try to break away from it. But it is what it is, audible sigh. Alright, so chapter six, pricing and promotion. I promise we're getting we're getting to the some more interesting stuff. Um it's maybe not this one, but it, again, it's a short chapter. How do consumers determine price value via online media? Um, how does social how does social media disrupt retail environments? Okay, let's talk about disruptive technologies for a second. Um, we're sort of in an age of disruptive technologies. What disruptive technologies are are new technologies that come in and they mess up existing technologies that did things like solve the same problem uh so let's take like taxi cabs taxi cabs are around for decades probably eh, longer than that as long as you know as long as people needed to get from point a to point b and it was further than they wanted to walk there have been you know structures in place or you know businesses in place to haul them from point a to point b but taxi cabs we all know them maybe you've ridden in one maybe not but you know what i'm talking about well, uh, people kind of got sort of irritated with the way some of the taxi companies were being. I think it was in San Francisco, and they just sort of got irritated with it. And the price, the service, and quality, all of these things. And so, you know, these tech guys created Uber, uh, which was just software. Was, like, Uber doesn't own cars, or at least they didn't in those days. Um, and... Um, it was just software. So you, as someone who sits at home, can, you know, drive um, wherever you want to go. And, uh, or I mean, you can haul people to your heart's content and you can get paid and, the, you know, the app can get paid. And same kind of thing, you know, now we've got delivery apps. We've got all kinds of apps. Um, things, Airbnb, same kind of thing with hotels. If you travel, you know, a lot of times you can stay in a much nicer place for less money in an Airbnb than you ever could in a hotel, you know? So these are, these are options for you. Um, so this is what disruptive media is. And so social media, uh, has come around and disrupted a lot of existing technologies or existing, uh, retail environments. So think about the, the world of like the rise of Amazon, you know, versus big box stores. When I was a kid, everyone would go to like, it was a big deal. If you got a mall in your town, like, like not like the shopping centers where everything's outside and you just sort of wander around a parking lot, but like the malls where like they had this big central areas and Santa Claus would always be there at Christmas time and they would have fountains and it was, you know, it was sort of a thing. Um, now mostly those things are empty and they're out of fashion. Um, maybe they'll come back because they're, you know, they were climate controlled so you could do all your shopping and eat and have all go to the movies all in one thing. Didn't matter if it was raining or whatever. Um, but now, you know, you can do that without, you know, leaving your house. You can do all your shopping from your couch. And now, you know, you can do not only Amazon, but now you can do, you know, your shopping, like go get groceries, do pickup and delivering. So now you got shopping apps. Um, so I do that all, you know, a lot of people are doing that these days, especially since the world of COVID 
because they tried it in the er like the early 2000s, like the first dot com thing where they were trying to like you could just order your groceries and, and, and they would do the shopping for you and then you just go pick it up and it just never really took off. And then now it's huge. You go to if you go to a grocery store like I do, a lot of times the bigger ones, you know, you almost see as many people employees pushing around carts doing the shopping uh, for someone. You know, who's just going to pick it up than you do is actually, you know, people wandering around. Uh, pricing factors, internal and external pricing factors. Internal are the cost of production slash equipment. This is what it costs to make something. The external pr cost are the stuff that's set by the overall environment. So it's the, it's the larger pictures. It's the economy. It's other stuff. Um, it's not just like how much does it cost to make a toothbrush that I'm going to sell. It's the cost of all the, you know, the internal cost would be like, how much does it cost to make the toothbrush? How much does it cost to ship the toothbrush to the stores? How much does it cost to do all these other things? And the external is set by the overall environment of this. Like what kind of economy is it? Where, what are the bigger factors in play? Uh, and then we've got cost per Cost-based pricing requires a marketer to determine how much of a product or service costs them and then add a percentage to that to determine uh, profit. So you, this is what you net profit versus gross profit. Gross is just sort of how much you make. You're going to make a toothbrush and you sell them all and you have $100 in your bank account before you pay off any of your bills. And so that's your gross $100. And then after you pay your bills, you're left with $27. And so the $27 is your actual profit. And then you have to determine if that's worth it or if there's ways that you can improve that. So you need to go from $27 to $37 in profit. Competition-based pricing is based on, this goes back to the, like the external factor. So you know how much it costs um, to make something you, and you want that, but you want to make money and you're trying to get your profit margin as high as you can. But part of that depends on like who, if you've got a competitor who's also making toothbrushes and they're selling theirs and they're selling theirs for, you know, you can't price yours too differently than there. You don't want to go too much cheaper because you're leaving money on the table but you don't want to leave it to price it too much more, much more expensive because then you might cause your customers to go to your competitor because they want their toothbrush because it costs like 33 cents less or 37 cents less or seven cents less, whatever. And then we get demand based pricing, which is influenced by how much a consumer is willing to pay. Now, last week when everything hit the fan, and people were looking for everything, like grocery stores got cleaned out. People were looking for ways to heat their homes. Things got propane heaters, all of these things. You had a really, really high demand. And in some cases, you know, people could charge pretty much whatever they want and people would pay it because they felt like they needed it or they did need it. Now, this is where you get into regulation and things like price gouging. Um, you know, so those are kind of extreme examples, but sort of in a general sense of like, how often do people want a toothbrush? Like how many, you know, there's only so much I'm willing to pay because there's only so much that I need. Uh, price penetration, slide number eight, offers a low introductory price for a subscription service. 
and then raises the price after a trial period. How many of you have ever like, just do six months for free? All we need to do is your credit card and you can cancel it anytime. And you know, what they're working on the idea is that you are going to just do the trial, free trial. You're already, they're going to have your information. And then one day they're just going to charge you and you're just going to be, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I, I get used to it. I like it. I don't want to let it go. And so, all right, I'll pay that $5 a month or whatever it happens to be. So, uh, framing next slide refers to a consumer's perception of price relate relative to the expectations or knowledge of a price for a product category. Like sometimes you just, people have an idea in their mind, like how much you should pay. So case in point yesterday. So I still don't have water on my boat. Like there are docks, all the lines were busted from, which is an incorrect term, but I'm from Arkansas. So I still say the lines busted, um, from the ice. And so our dock water lines are, are turned off. And so I have to hand carry water to my boat. And so I had to go buy a couple of, uh, water jugs, not like, like big water jugs, like, um, six gallons each, just strictly for carrying this kind of water. And I went to one store and these basically for all intents and purposes, it looks like a gas can except it's blue. And so I went to one store that's the Marine store that just sells boat stuff that is almost always way too expensive. And they wanted to sell me basically a blue gas can for $30. And the reference, the framing in my mind is like, that's about twice as expensive as it should be. And so I went to a different store and went to Academy Sports and lo and behold, I found exactly what I was. I was actually, it was a better can for $20. And I'm like, okay, I'm willing to pay that. And I bought two of them. So that's the framing. It's like, you know, I turned down one because I thought it, it just looked too expensive for what it was and it didn't match what I had in my head I should pay. And so I moved on and did some more shopping and then I found something I was after. Uh, so that's the reference price that I had in my head and the external price are supplied by marketers to frame the context of a product in an advantageous way. And so this is where somebody, you know, maybe they frame it or it's just like, they know they're not like, okay, so you go to a place like, I know Kohl's does this on the department store. Like they always have signs up. You can save 30%. Like they're never expecting that they're going to, people are going to pay retail price. So like they, they throw sort of a random number up there and then say 15% off. And so it looks like it's on sale. It's never been on sale. It wasn't on sale. It's just what they say they're doing. Promotions. This is how you attract attention. So if you've got something, how are you going to get people to come look at you? Maybe you're going to give them that 15% off, but you're only going to do it for this month. Maybe you're going to do something. Um, coupons are, are really popular. 80% um, of the consumers uh, report using coupons regularly. Uh, I did. I made a purchase, online purchase, yesterday. And and when I was doing the purchase, it was like, hey, do you have a discount code? And I'm like, I do not have a discount code. So I just did a quick Google search to see if I could find a discount code. And lo and behold, I found a discount code. It's 15% off. And, you know. It was like a $150 purchase. So that, you know, saved me some real money, which I enjoyed. 
which made me like that product a little bit better. Um, I guess I'll know when I get it. I still like it. Um, premiums. Premiums are gifts that add to the value of an offering. These are often loyalty programs. These are like, you know, if um, you use our, you know, our company card or whatever, credit card long enough, you'll get, you know, this money back. You're going to get something back for, you know, your loyalty uh, restaurant. So you go in there, you get your little punch card or whatever. Hey, this is the 10th time you've eaten there. You get a free sandwich, whatever. Contest or something else gives people a, a chance to compete for prizes and this is a big thing on social media and this is how people drive up engagement because they're trying to get hey share this like you see this with newspapers all the time like you ever see these best of the best things that happen in newspapers like be the best we're the best furniture store in the river valley or in arkansas because this newspaper said so well not really what those are contests are basically popularity contests so because i've been on the receiving end of those where somebody's like hey a newspaper is like hey you want to be a part of this? Sure. And then I am entirely responsible to try to get my customer base to go vote for me. You know, same thing with like American Idol uh, or any of these is where, you know, you just keep working and working and you're trying to get your customer base to do the advertising for you. And that increases something called your reach. Uh, and this is where we're starting to get into the world of the influencers in Pay attention the actual number of people that are exposed to your content. If you're doing all kinds of work, but you're only reaching 15 people, then it's sort of more like uh, you need to do something to reach more people so you have your message has a better chance of getting heard or seen. Um, Marketer-generated content is created by the brand. That's so. That's what you're doing. You are creating uh, your own stuff, and user-generated content is. And this is a question. Are any of you considering that? Like, how do you get your user base? The people that are already following your social media, how do you get them to bring you more followers and more customers? What kind of creative ways have you encouraged as the brand, your users, your followers, whoever these people are, your minions, um, to get you more minions? Because that's the game that's really being played. Uh, User-generated content typically has a stronger effect on purchase power. And the reason is I trust my friend more than I trust the brand. Like if my friend says it's okay, and this is why people like reading reviews. Um, because everybody kind of knows the advertisers are going to lie to you. Like they're going to tell you it's the best product ever, whether it is or not. But you start reading some customer reviews and people either confirm that or deny that, uh, then it can sort of change a lot of that. So this is why people prefer that. Sponsorships. Brands can work with sponsor influencers. Remember the influencers? These are the people already pop popular. Basically, they just have their own online media um, world, their own, their own network. And they work with these influencers, uh, as well as sponsoring events or purchasing names to buildings. Yeah, that's if you have a lot of money, you can afford to put your name on a building. But mostly, you might be able to get your favorite influencer to eat your burrito and talk about how good it is, or wear whatever it is, and talk about, oh, I love these earrings, or hey, I really like this new game controller, or whatever it happens to be. And that's how it works. But you got 
but you got to buy in and get them to to uh well to buy in i guess that's I don't know, that was that was a terrible way to wrap that up speaking of wrapping it up i'm going to wrap this up and uh Leave you with Leon Red or not Leon Redbone, just Redbone. That's just, I'm sorry. Come and get your love, which I was on Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, I will catch you, time, folks, next week. And here we go.